Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, April 18th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and today we gather at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And for our fourth, our good friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, he's not with us today, but we look forward to having back with us very soon. This Sunday is April 23rd, and we're working to be faithful to year A. And this is how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson, Tampa. I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, the gospel reading for this Sunday is Luke. 24, 13 through 35, or as most of us know it, the road to Emmaus. And I'm going to read that scripture, and we'll get into a discussion. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you, walk, while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And when he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? At same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And that's the word of the Lord. Well, we've got a few questions to work with today. And... Uh, the first one is coming at you, Sarah, and it's about how things get started on the road. 
please share your perspectives on Jesus the Inquirer in the context of the scene and across the Gospels. What can the 21st century church learn from the Christ who engages so often with a question? Sarah? Well, I'm going to start my thinking with the idea that when you're walking toward something and you see it in the distance, you're not it, the details are not clear. And as you get closer to it, the sharper edges of the image or the, the vision that you're seeing become apparent. And so I think this wonderful metaphor of walking the road to Emmaus and understanding the scriptures and, and coming to see Jesus in the breaking of the bread are all part of a larger metaphor. Um, and 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 I don't think that I believe I believe this happened. Don't don't hear that differently. It has more to do with there's so much to unpack here. Um, so with the idea of Jesus as the inquirer, it signals signals to me that Jesus, and therefore God, wants to interact with us in inquiry, in exploration, and in discovery. That little nugget alone is a great place to start in the fact that. Somebody's curious about what you're thinking. Somebody's curious and wants to hear what your thoughts are and how you're putting things together. Um, it, I think that says a whole lot about how much we are beloved. So this this idea, though, gives me pause. Does Jesus grasp from where my heart begins each day? Because some days my heart doesn't start in a really good place. Some days I wake up buoyant and, and, and effervescent and feeling all myself. And there are other days when I wake up feeling like I'm a slug. And so I think about how intimately Jesus must know me and must see that in me. And into what kind of safe space does Jesus call me to move forward in dialogue? Um this engagement begs me to step over boundaries, um, perhaps even those we had hoped moments, which I think are, are the, the pits of despair or the pits of disappointment and, and disillusionment. Um, and I think that those often stick with us longer than we would like, much more so than the mountaintop experiences. Um, we are invited to ask questions and in turn invited to ask others questions. I think that builds this nice um, framework or um, connectivity between people. And I think it, dis- it, it dismantles tr- distrust and fear and isolation, which are so common in this world today. So I think that the dialogue here is essential to building that um, early church. And, and to having a, a, a better understanding of the whole picture. And I like that we are asked those questions. I like that the best teaching in the world starts with questions. Thank you, Sarah. How about you, Bill? Your thoughts on Jesus, the inquirer? Uh, great question, a good place to begin, because I think it gets at the tone and spirit of this passage, Don. I think you're what you're doing is reflective of what Jesus was. First of all, let's note 
that these disciples were already struggling to understand. It says in verse 14, they, they were already discussing among themselves, and they're going away from Jerusalem toward Emmaus. And I think that's important, that they were already engaged in, in reflection. Now, what I'm about to say will illustrate how the same question sparks different things in different people. Thanks be to God. To me, it's a reminder, this approach by Jesus, that grace is a gift and a choice. Jesus showed up all of a sudden with them. That wasn't their choice. That was God's choice through Jesus Christ. And it's unconditional. Christ is fully present. Yet these disciples walking toward Emmaus had a choice and they chose to engage, to listen, to hear, to seek to understand, and eventually to embrace the good news that Christ was risen. Christ was risen indeed. And this past Sunday, our senior pastor at Palmasia, John Devilboy, quoted Anselm's definition of theology, which is faith-seeking understanding. And that's what this dialogue is all about, is seeking to understand. And Jesus reminds them of what they already know. Uh, He's reviewing the scriptures, the, the prophecies. And I think that's just so often what we do in preaching and studying is not necessarily discovering something we never knew before, but meeting a text, a narrative, as it were, for the first time again. Uh, That's what I find exciting about what we do and other ways that people of faith are seeking understanding. And for me, Don, in this passage and in the human experience, questioning stretches our boundaries. Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Um, and I, I remember one, if not the favorite class in college was my senior year as a modern European history major. We all who were majors and seniors took a senior seminar on the history of American intellectualism. And the professor who taught it was a genius. And we we did our best to get him to tell us what to think. And he was a master, Don, at questions. Rarely did he go, okay, in effect, you're, you're not getting it. Here it is, or, as I understand it. And I know at times it was frustrating because we as class members led the class. Uh, that was part of, in, in turn, we prepared and he was there. And there were occasions he would say, you're, you're, you're going too far. But basically, he was present. And if we got stuck, 
99% of the time, his response was a question. It was frustrating, but it was stretching. And, Don, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture uh, because it's so such a powerful invitation to keep digging. Why do we do this year after year? <laughs> because we are on the road to Emmaus also. We do not yet have a full understanding. Thank you. Well, I, uh, I've had the privilege of being deeper in this passage this week than usual because I attend the church. I love my church, but we're not on lectionary like often your, your church is. And, um, but this week they were. And they were on this passage, so I got to talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, and listen to sermons and sermons, and it was it was great, especially this beloved story and seeing what people brought to it in their hearts. And in a small group discussion just two nights ago, in order to get uh, the ideas flowing, uh, a member of our group, who's also a pastor, said, "You know, why didn't Jesus go just go into Jerusalem and declare his kingship? What is this?" you know, two people on the road, which is a really great question. And because of this kind of conversation, uh, you know, my, my answer would be, well, if he did go into Jerusalem, and let's say there's a thousand people in, in earshot, if this is the Christ, he's not going to declare anything. He's going to ask 1,000 discrete questions of the 1,000 people. But that's what's in my heart this week. So he can't declare because that's not who the Christ is. If there are a thousand people, he has a thousand intimate, specific questions for each person. That's Jesus. So he can't declare because there's a pursuit of the heart that's going on here that just doesn't have much to do with declaring a kingship in that particular way. And also, he's in pursuit. I always love that, at least in my mind, he's catching up with this couple. You know, he's he's in pursuit, and we've been talking about the past few weeks. We're pursuing Jesus, and Jesus is pursuing us. In this case, he's catching up with them. I don't think he crosses them. I think he's walking faster than they are. At least that's the image I like to have. So he catches up with them in order to ask a question. The smallest of questions is so powerful. What are you, what are you talking about? What's the, what's the subject of the day? That's it. That's all that's needed. Tell me more. Tell me more. What did you see? What's going on? I think I've said in past podcasts, you know, I have my a boss I love the most who got me started in my career. He'd walk in a room, didn't matter if there were 100 people in there, he'd go, what's going on? That was enough. That was enough. So that's a pursuit, too. It's a kind of a pursuit of the heart rather than a takeover of the heart. That That's a more intimate relationship. Uh, and on the road, he catches up with them. The word that I thought about this morning as I was preparing was icebreaker, which we use, I think, fairly cheaply. It's like, what's the icebreaker? Do you have an icebreaker? You get the conversation going. Or how did you break the ice when you met so-and-so? I like it more now in the context of the Christ because, you know, the icebreaker here is, what are you talking about? That's all that's needed? We're very, boy, the power we have to open things up with a question, with listening. It's very powerful. What are you doing? What are you talking about? Where are you going? Where's the water? Where's the food? Would you like to have dinner? Would you like to stay with us? Pretty simple things. I remember the night I met the one I would marry a long time ago. 
And I remember it was a costume party, and she had on cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and the Western outfit. And I looked at her, the first words I said to her is, who did you come as, Dale Evans? I mean, it's kind of a snarky thing to say, but it was still the icebreaker. So I, I would commend the idea of what is an icebreaker. And, you know, think about social awkwardness. How do you break through social awkwardness? Are we socially awkward with Jesus? I would say I am. I'm socially awkward with Jesus. Um, are we frozen, unable to communicate with each other? And I think that's what icebreaker means is how do you melt it or break it away? Yes. Am I frozen in terms of my relationship with the Christ? Yeah, probably. So that whole context of the melting works. And, you know, I thought, I always think about icebreakers, the, the ships that break up ice. And I always thought that's where it came from. You folks probably already know this, but it's a 400-year-old colloquial statement because it's just about melting. Most people know what ice is and how it locks things in. So ice breaking is, you know, shaking the branches of a tree or breaking up ice on a mountainside. Or, you know, th this is way before the boats. It's about melting and flowing. And I like the simple power of this, and it does answer the question for me. Why didn't he declare the kingship? Well, he'd rather ask a thousand discreet questions to a thousand people in their own walks of life. That's my thoughts. Um, so let's get on to the next question. Bill, this one's, this one's coming at you. Here's another question. As we get about two-thirds through the passage, we have the request, Jesus, stay with us. So what impact does the request to stay with us to a stranger have on you in your reading of the gospel? And was Jesus departing up to that point? Bill? Uh, again, uh, a, a question congruent with the spirit and content of this passage. It, it strikes me that on one level, we could hear it as a simple and perhaps expected expression of hospitality, you know, in in the Jewish culture um, and in many cultures, there's, there's a kind of a simple hospitality. The, the people say to him, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over in a part of verse 26. So uh, it, it could be uh, simple hospitality. I believe that the disciples sensed that there was something more that they needed. I, I, we don't know that, but I, I can identify with that. Again, back to the, the college class on the history of American intellectualism, one thing the professor stressed was that each of us who led had to delve into what was going on in American history at that point and how might that context have influenced the writer and how might the writer have influenced uh, culture? Uh, there's no simple answer to that, but the the professor kept us digging and digging. So <clears throat> I believe, along with hospitality, they sensed they needed something more. Now we know in Hebrews 13:2, it says, "Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for doing by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it." Well, it, up to a point, they didn't know that it was Jesus, but they were 
seeking to um, be hospitable. And again, what I like about this, and I like to think I can somehow genuinely identify with this, I have lots of questions. And I enjoy engaging with people. My wife says sometimes I should have been a lawyer with all due respect. On, <laughs> you know, I, I, it, it, I, I guess at times I may seem argumentative. It isn't meant to be argumentative. It's what did you mean by that? If, if what you're saying is accurate, how, you know, you, hopefully you get my point that, Somehow engaging and chewing on things uh, emotionally, relationally, intellectually uh, can lead to a deeper understanding. And I think that's at the heart of the gospel. And again, why we do this year after year, there is something more. Thanks for the question. Thank you. I've been wondering if this invitation is... uh, you know, potentially part of a continuum uh, where, you know, the ice is broken, what next? You've broken the ice, you've begun a relationship, you've walked down the road, what comes next? Come abide with me. It's the next step. The foundation is laid, have a conversation, you've gone so far, therefore, what do you do next? Inside. The journey continues inside. It's a different journey. It gets more intimate. It's dining. You're going to share a meal sustenance, meet people, meet more people, meet my family. So I think it's on a continuum. And that's what I was thinking about. I was like, well, my gosh, this chapter is just the mini gospel all in one. The whole journey is there. Matter of fact, it's scriptures all in one because you've got Jesus unpacking the scriptures, which by the way, we don't get. I think it's verse 27. (laughs) And I, I think I talk about this every year. It's like, hey, wait a minute. And then Jesus opened up the gospel, I mean, the, the scriptures to them. Where is it? Where is it? Why don't I get that? Of course, I think that's the point. That No, that's, I have my own journey. He did that for them. He will do that for me too. That's their journey. But we've got the foundation, the promise, the pursuit, the passion, the mission, the revelation, the, the whole thing, it's almost like, wait, how can I get, is there a cliff notes to the gospel? And all of a sudden I'm like, I think the road to Emmaus is it. I think, it's, I think it's all there, even historically, like this arc of the journey that they take all the way to Jesus vanishing is, is just this micro, which goes to come and stay with us. So I think uh, I like the mutuality of that too. And that's not spoken. But Jesus doesn't have to go. Maybe another time, right? Jesus, Jesus makes the call here too. You come be with us. I, I'm so, I got I got stuff to do. I got to go. Nope. There's time. There is a time. There is a time. He goes. Yes, I will. I will come and be with you. So he comes inside. How about you, Sarah? What do you think about this uh, invitation? I think that the walking conversation was probably enthralling. And so much so that the disciples want to stay engaged. They want to keep the conversation going. Um, uh, Perhaps you have um, stayed up all night in conversation with someone once or twice, 
uh, because it was so enthralling, because it was riveting, and 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 it was uh, it gave your your whole body energy. Um, I think it's similar to like the woman at the well. Um, the stranger seems to know more about the situation than they do, and they want to extend hospitality to keep the conversation going. Um, they invite him to join in a meal. And uh, might the destination of Jesus change depending upon whether or not they respond? Because they responded, he comes in and eats. If they had not, would he have kept going? That's a great question. Um, Perhaps whether or not we understand more has more to do with how we engage. Um, Was it... Their ability to recognize was their ability to recognize him dependent upon their letting go of what they thought they knew, and only as they watched him take the bread, bless it, and break it, did they finally see Jesus as fully Messiah. And I, that's just a great um, idea thought for me. Um, how often do I uh, miss something because I see it for what I believe it to be and not for what it really is? Okay, one final question. And uh, as I as I read this, we we generate these questions each week uh, to be helpful too. So this is for the listener. If you're moderating a class or have a roundtable or a discussion, we're we're testing these out. We're not saying they all work well, but it's a chance to test them out and see if they might work. And hey, as icebreakers uh, for your groups. So the final question is, how do you explain the author's decision to combine recognition of Jesus and the abrupt vanishing in verse 31? We see him, we know him, and he's gone. And and the reason I I wanted to raise this, and Sarah's coming to you first, uh, is uh, it is so abrupt. It's there he is and he's gone. And that's that's astonishing. Um, So why? And in a way, it goes to, you know, why didn't they go to Jerusalem and stay, declare his kingship? And I think it's connected to that. And I think what would I want if he appeared is, oh, it's Jesus. Stay. I want to reach out. We're on a Zoom, too, if you're listening on a podcast. I'm reaching into the Zoom going, I want to grasp that. I want to hold on to it. I want to cling to it. And, you know, going over to another gospel, you know, when Jesus is seen, he says, don't cling to me. Uh, if you want to think about um, a transfiguration, you go up to the mountainside, and what do they want to do? They want to build tents and tabernacles. We need to stay here. Let's stay here. We want to freeze time. It goes back to the icebreaker. So I, I think he, I think the vanishing has to do with not refreezing, not re-icing. This is not the Christ of being locked in time. This is not the Christ of a death cult. This is not a Christ who's going to be memorialized. This is not a Christ who's going to be one unity kind of king for all on earth. There's a thousand questions to be asked every day, and that's what he intends to do, and what he intends for the disciples to do on his behalf as well. So, you know, here's an object I recognize that I'm reaching into the screen. I want to grasp that and hold it for myself. No, absolutely 
absolutely not. That's not who the, the Christ is. No tabernacles, no cleaning, no freezing in time. That has nothing to do with the mission. What What do you think about this, Sarah? What prevents us from seeing what we know to be true? Are we moving too fast? Are we distracted? Are we looking for something other than what we know to be true? Because we want, we want confirmation bias, right? We want something to confirm that our understanding is the right one. Are we living in the denial of truth, hiding it from ourselves in an effort to sustain a reality with which we are comfortable? Mark Davis notes that in their eyes, that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him during which time the scriptures were opened by him. Yet it's during the breaking of the bread that they finally recognize him and realize that he was with them the whole time. The whole time. Did you ever miss something entirely, maybe a directional landmark or a, a familiar turn off the highway, or perhaps even a person because you were fixated on what you expected to see instead of what you saw. I think there's often um, this interesting understanding of if you lay down expectations, people will step out of the shadows of your expectations and become who they really are. And I wonder about that. How often do we hold tight to those expectations and limit what we can see? and what we can grasp, and what we can understand. And maybe Jesus is moving us through that. Um, you know, we all have uh, some sort of imagination about what Jesus is like and what God is like. And uh, it, it hasn't been necessarily helped by paintings. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I'm imagining that we are limited in some capacity by what we see and hear and touch and smell. And then Jesus goes, there's so much more. And 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 you have to almost play hide-and-seek to get someone to step away from where they've been hiding to come out and look. So that's what my Thank thoughts are about that. Thank you. Well, Bill Hole, you get, you get the wrap-up. What are your thoughts about recognition, and then vanishing. Uh, to play on words a little, uh, there's no wrap-up of this passage. <laughs> See if we can box it, <laughs> just being playful. Um, again, this is a powerful passage. And <clears throat> what I'm about to share uh, is what was triggered in my mind <clears throat> as I reflected on your question. It reminded me, of what's recorded in the 20th chapter of John when Jesus meets Mary and he says to her at one point, do not hold on to me. Now that can sound harsh, but my take on it is we cannot possess God. Um, we, we cannot literally and figuratively fully grasp Jesus. And I think there is a powerful message in that don't try to hold on to me to contain me. The, the impact on, of this encounter was these disciples, these two disciples, 
did a 180 and went back to Jerusalem. For whatever reason, they were leaving Jerusalem, going toward Emmaus, perhaps for safety, for whatever. But in encountering and recognizing Jesus, sent them back to Jerusalem and uh, the conversation with the other disciples. And I think that's part of the recognition and abrupt vanishing, John. It, go, going back to my statements in the first question, a gift, a choice. They made a choice to reverse course, to go in a direction they had not intended, at least at that point, to go. And it also reminds me of Matthew 25. Lord, when, when, when did we know you were hungry? Well, when you served a person, I, I love that. That's powerful. That often we are ministering to Christ and don't know it. And I know there are mixed reactions to the famous Footprints poem, um, but that poem says it's only later that one sees um the, the presence of God And I, I can identify with that uh, Especially at some very Difficult points in my life It was later That I Could see The presence of God And the leading of the spirit And I think His abrupt leaving Because this is the only time he leaves them During his ministry he went alone Up into the mountain If you watch the TV series uh, chosen. Um, Jesus is all. Where where is Jesus? Who who knows where he is? Uh, in the meantime, therefore, the disciples have to make choices, and I think his abrupt leaving of these two reinforced Jesus's message that I would characterize as: You have the gifts of ministry. Go, you go and teach. You go and heal. You go and reconcile. Um, and there's a time to move beyond study and meditation into action with the confidence that God is with us. Speaking for myself and I think for my colleagues on this podcast, this isn't primarily an academic exercise. We're faith-seeking understanding to inform our daily lives. And I will end with the phrase in verse 32, our hearts were burning within us. Um, there are those moments that there's a warming, a melting, Don, back to your imagery, and that melting leads to understanding and to action we trust that is formed and informed by the Spirit of Christ. My thoughts. Thank you. And, uh, That brings us to the end of uh, this week's podcast. And for folks listening in, Palmasia Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. And they're at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that to you for great sermons, discussions, differences of opinion, outstanding music, opportunity to take communion, reflection. So check that out, and you're always welcome. We'll see you next time.